A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. <laughs> Welcome back, episode number 43 of the Pull Hitter Podcast. I'm Rob DiPietro, the Dead Pull Hitter. Thank you for joining me once again on this wonderful podcasting journey. Thank you for the wonderful support you've shown the show. Extremely excited about tonight's episode. I got to talk to Ron Chandler, Ray Murphy, and Brent Hershey, all of Baseball HQ and... Ron Chandler's Babs Baseball. If you know me and you know the way I prefer to evaluate players, you know that my starting point is extremely rooted in Baseball HQ and Ron Chandler's Babs Baseball. Um, So tonight was extremely awesome getting to talk to them and picking their brain about a whole bunch of things. Um... This was uh, extremely awesome for me. This is in a string of wonderful podcast guests and special shows. This was the highlight so far for me because of how deep I am rooted in the baseball forecaster. So extremely awesome and honored to get to talk to them and... Yeah, so um, we talked about a multitude of things, the creation of Baseball HQ, the Baseball Forecaster, how Babs came about, um, how Tout Wars started, some really cool, interesting nuggets of information about the origins of fantasy baseball as well. Just cool, just great to learn from Guys who've been in the street for 30, 35 years. Pretty awesome. Yeah, it's a a trip down history lane when you get to talk to people who've been in the industry for that long and have been um, so deeply involved in so many big events in the fantasy history. Um, Yeah, so... Awesome episode. Again, thank you for the support of the show. You know you can find me on Twitter at Deadpool Hitter. If you give the show a rating and review on Apple Podcast, DM me a screenshot of the review, and I'll send you some Pull Hitter swag. You can also find the show at Pull Hitter Pod and also PullHitter.com. Yeah, so with that being said, we'll get on with the show. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All righty, folks. Welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. Tonight, we have some special guest, um, gentlemen f- involved with Baseball HQ. My first foray into real fantasy baseball analytics. I have Ron Chandler, Ray Murphy, and Brent Hershey here with me tonight. How are you fellas doing? Doing great, Rob. Thanks for the invite. Looking forward to this. Yeah. Well, thanks for having us on here. It's uh, looking forward to it. Great. Yeah, it's, it'll be uh, fun for all all uh, four of us to have a little chat. So yeah. appreciate the uh, appreciate the invite. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for accepting the invite. Thank you for sharing some time with me. Um, yeah, it, uh, as any one of my listeners know, um, well documented, my first uh, taste of real baseball analytics, fantasy baseball analytics came from the baseball forecaster. Of course, um, I was uh, working with a friend of mine who 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 was like, you know, aren't you into baseball HQ and the forecast? I said, no, I never, you know, I was just a casual player, uh, obviously not doing the right things to win. And I never did win. And then um, he handed me his copy of the forecaster. And ever since then, it was uh, strictly, you know, like I said, um, it's, it's the, it's the start of my process every year. It's the, uh, the gold standard for me um, in my player evaluation and game theory, roster construction, all that. Um, so I just want to thank you guys for, you know, establishing something so great that we can, you know, um, better ourselves with, with our process in fantasy baseball. Yeah, and you got your name on the back cover this year, you know, so you went a long way from uh, oh. your friend introducing you to, uh, you know, get, getting the pull cover quote on the back. So that's... Right. I hope you pull that out and That's not quite full circle, but it's something like that. <laughs> it's definitely full circle. It was, uh, I, I, I still look at it. I know my brothers, they're like, I can't believe that you're on the back. And, you know, they showed the whole family, like, wow, it's cool. Uncle Rob's on the back of the forecast. And it's, uh, it's really, it's really amazing. Um, thank you for the opportunity to, to uh, get myself back there. It was really, it's still fascinating. I still can't believe I won. I still can't believe that it's actually, my name is actually on it. So um, really appreciate that, guys. Thank you so much. Um, well, from our perspective too, it's, it's incredibly gratifying to hear success, success stories like that. You know, been doing this now, how many years, uh, 35 years. And, um, it never gets old to hear how, uh, how people use the book and the website and, and how well they do in their leagues. And, you know, it's a lot of the reason that we keep doing it every year. Just, uh, it's, it's just incredibly gratifying to hear. So, uh, we're glad it worked out for you. We're glad you're successful and your success is our success. Yes, absolutely. I, 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 exactly. It's like when I was telling, um, telling you guys when you won the FSWA award, you know, like uh, it's a team win, you know, it's, especially with Ryan too. I DM'd him, I let, you know, I let him know. I was so proud of him. I was like, you know, you win is like me winning too. So uh, I'm so proud of you guys. You, know, you guys really, um, I think you really set the standard, you know, like I said, on the back cover too, it's fine content is everywhere, but for me, this is my start. And it's, it's, it's my, it's the overwhelming amount of what I put into this player evaluation as well as Bab. She's, um, she did good. She's, she's doing good for me. Okay. She's treat, 
He treated me really well, Ron. <laughs> He's treating me really well too. <laughs> and, and it's so funny because I've had a lot of people, um, you know, approach me about, um, you know, wondering what it's all about and what it involves, and you know, and um, I tell them to just make sure you read the eBooks first because everyone mm -hmm. wants to dive right into, you know, what is Babs about? And I say, well, you, you're not just going to look at the rankings and understand it, you know, take the time out to read the books and the same thing with the forecast. Everyone wants to go straight to the boxes. But to me, the, the research abstract, all that, you know, everything, all the good stuff is in the beginning. It lays the groundwork for what you're reading in the boxes and what you're reading in the Babs rankings. If you don't understand what the data is showing you, then you're really not going to get the most out of it. I've, I've always felt that way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's kind of the challenge for us too, because, you know, we've, we've done so much research over the years and we've accumulated so much, you know, intelligence to help uh, fantasy leaguers, but it's, you know, it's, it's at a level that if you try to just jump in without knowing what you're doing, uh, uh, we, we get a fair share of, of customer service emails saying, I don't quite understand this. What is this all about? And it's like, well, yeah, we kind of explain it on page 12, you know, take a look, you know, read it over. And it's uh, it's, it's a process. There is, there is a learning curve for, for sure with both uh, the forecaster and Babs, there's definitely a learning curve. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I make use of that stuff too. In fact, Ron, you and I got to talk offline because I have my Rotolab and I realized yesterday I, I do not have my Babs unlock key in Rotolab yet. So I need what? to, uh, okay. I'm going to need to have to, I'm going to have to PayPal you for that or something. Yeah. I don't, that's okay. I'll, I'll give you the key. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know you long enough. <laughs> what are you waiting for, Ray? Oh, I use it. I just had to realize I have the new edition this year and I need, I need yeah. the key again. <laughs> Yeah, what a what a what a combination. Um, it's it, it's great. Rotolab is just uh, what a draft software. It just immediately helped me because I'm I'm a I'm a spreadsheet spaz. You know, I'm a I'm a I'm a disabled carpenter who has no computer skills like that whatsoever. <laughs> so that that's just a a piece a piece of um, my my drafting um, ability comes from a roto lab it just makes it so much easier to uh sure. draft yep. yeah so yep. i wanted to um you know walk me through the the whole birth of baseballhq.com and the baseball forecaster tell me how um that all evolved into the world oh i guess i'll start um a baseball forecaster back in the uh, the mid-1980s I uh, became a big fan of Bill James Baseball Abstracts and um, the Rotisserie League Baseball book. I actually discovered both of those books on the same trip to, uh, to a bookstore in the discount rack back in 1984. And uh, I started getting really involved in reading about all these sabermetric, these new, back then it was called New Statistics. And so I was reading them. I was reading uh, Pete Palmer, The Hidden Game of Baseball, and uh, all these uh, different analysts who were coming at this, this, uh, this new research from different angles. And I was wondering what it would look like if we put Bill James runs created against um, Pete Palmer's linear weights against uh, Thomas Boswell's total average and look at each player with those three gauges side by side by side. And so I was a spreadsheet geek as well. And so I, I compiled all that information for the 1986 season and thought, all right, maybe someone will buy this. So I put a little one-inch ad in Sporting News, uh, charged $9.95, and I got 67 people to order the first edition of the Baseball Forecaster. 
And uh, you know, my wife was like, is this really going to be something or is this going to be uh, something that's going to take time away from me? Um, and we had just been married for about a year. And I said, nah, nah, it's a hobby. I'll just do it. And 1987 rolled around. I said, All right, let me do this again. And instead of 67 people buying it, 267 people bought it or thereabouts. It like tripled in uh, tripled or quadrupled in number. And it just kept growing from there. And, and over the course of time, I realized that it really weren't, it really wasn't baseball analyst types who were reading this stuff. It was fantasy leaguers. And so I started adding projections. I added player commentaries over the years. And uh, by the mid 1990s, then it was time to try to distribute this information in, in digital form. And uh, our first effort to send it out was via email. And that was a complete bomb. That was a disaster because back in 1996, trying to attach a spreadsheet to email uh, uh, was just a recipe for disaster. People couldn't open up the files. They didn't know what to do when they opened it. But um, I basically spent the summer of 1996 teaching myself HTML and creating the first iteration of the baseball uh, of Baseball HQ. And that launched in August of 1996 and the, uh, the circulation, the paid circulation, uh, the subscriptions for HQ surpassed that of the forecaster and at the time I was also publishing a newsletter within nine months. And suddenly the, the web version of all this information just exploded and uh, things just kind of took off from there. And uh, by, what was it guys, like 97, 98, 99, where I started to have to hiring people and you guys came on board and this, this thing became a real uh, entity. Yeah, you hired me in 99, which means you shot me down in 98. Um, and I think, <laughs> I think, and I think Brent, you actually did get hired in 98, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I started in 98, but I got shot down probably in 97. So, <laughs> so uh, to all the aspiring listeners out there, just, you know, keep at it. I know it's yeah. I know it's something Bloomfield always talks about. He always mentioned how, you know, he got shot down before he got, you know, in. So I guess it's part of the process. <laughs> yeah, he dug I think Ron dug up his application last week when he yeah. uh, when he came in. It was Ron Ron's got a uh, super email archive there. <laughs> I I had a ridiculously re- a ridiculously uh, intense hiring process where people went through several stages and submitted, you know, they were, they were writing samples and whatnot. And um, I thought that process would give me the best of the best. And I did, I mean, it did for the most part, uh, Baseball HQ accumulated just a, an absolutely solid um, a group of writers and analysts, but it wasn't perfect. I mean, uh, <laughs> I look back at some of the applications of people who I turned down who never actually came back the second year and tried again. You know, Jeopardy champion D- James Holzhauer applied for a job in wow. 2005. Um, he didn't even get through the first round and never <laughs> came back. <laughs> and guys who uh, actually made it in the industry, guys like Paul Sporer and uh, Will Carroll, uh, all applied uh, for Baseball HQ, and uh, then they went on to do other things. Uh, so uh, it wasn't a perfect system, but uh, I got uh, some really good stars to, during, the, during the course of time. Wow. So, Ray and Brent, when you guys started, what were your, your first duties at Baseball HQ? So mine was um, Ron needed – it was specifically a job posting for internet leagues. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> like you know, people playing online, you know, it was a, a new concept to to run subscriber base for people playing against strangers, right? Because yeah. everyone was playing in home leagues with you know twelve guys they went to college with, or or you know run the, the local youth baseball league with, or however you find your league mates, right? But he was, you know, I was supposed to write about you know how to you know play against strangers on the internet and what was different about that. Yeah. Mine, I think, uh, if I recall, mine, my first article had something to do with with starting pitching analysis. Uh, and I think from there, um, when he when Ron accepted it and ran it, I think that I was more kind of ad hoc for a couple of years, kind of pitched ideas every once in a while. And he ran it. But then over the years, I've done all kinds of stuff from gaming stuff like uh, Ray's talking about to to writing player notes, uh, you know, in our old, um, you know, market pulse or market watch columns watch, or whatever yeah. they were. Yeah. yeah. Watch, yeah. Uh, and uh, I know I've, I did some starting pitching, uh, you know, columns uh, from time to time, but, um, you know, it was a great, for me, it was a great way to, uh, you know, just gave me a good experience on a lot of the different uh, topics uh, to write, to write on. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, I know now you have a big hand in the minor league analyst as well, um, which I was just telling Ray before we got on air, I just got into a first year, um, um, a 20 team dynasty league mm-hmm. with a, a first year player draft that I'm way over my head in, but <laughs> um, I got that puppy right next to me last year's and this year's and it, it's guiding me um, as far as I can go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, when I, I don't know, I mean, when I came on a part-time in 2013, um, I had a journalism writing background uh, in college and had a couple jobs in that. Um, so I, I remember, uh, you know, taking, kind of doing, uh, give, given the minor league analyst kind of uh, an editorship and, and doing some editing type of stuff, uh, putting together some standards for the site um, was part of uh part of what my duties were uh at that time and and now uh handling as ray and i handle the day-to-day stuff uh that's the content area is a little bit more mine and and ray handles some of the business side and database and number stuff also yeah i always figure that it happened because when ron was uh you know Start, starting to back away from the day-to-day operations he had sort of pulled me in and I was doing a lot of the projections and the customer service and the business side for him like he said and, I, and he had me handling you know the articles too and he must have just decided that I was a terrible writer and editor and pulled, pulled, Brent, <laughs> pulled Brent in and said yeah you know this, this guy should be your left brain because you don't, you don't have that side of the you don't have that side of the coin. <laughs> I was just really worried that you'd get hit by a truck or something. And I'd have to do it all myself again. Safeguard <laughs> uh, on yourself. Um, that's funny. So tell me about the process of getting the forecast out into the world. It's a, um, I'm sure it's a, uh, a lot of work. So when does it start? Um, how many people are involved? You know, all that stuff. Ray, that's you. That's me. So Go yeah, that it. starts, you know, <laughs> After just after the all-star break is probably pretty close wow. to the right answer. It used to be that the first task on the list was to 
take the first half stats and put them in a vault because we're going to need to do the first half, second half splits later. So we had a grab, you know, on the day that was, you know, we don't do first half, second half on the all-star break. We do it right at the half of the season. So we get 81 games on each split. So whatever the day was when everybody played their 81st game, I had to grab the stat files from that morning and, you know, throw them somewhere safe because I'm going to need them in three months. Right. Wow. <laughs> wow. And then from there we do some stuff and, you know, over the course of the summer, Brent works on the cover usually around Labor Day, late August, somewhere around then mm-hmm. we start batting around who's going to, who are some candidates for the cover picture, which is a combination of who's having a relevant season and who can we find a good picture of. Ron's been asking for a Met for like 35 years now. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this year, Ten Tebow's out of the picture now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well he, well, he has one now. It's just he's not in a Mets uniform. Yeah. Right? Lindor was <laughs> true, true. Oh, yeah, that's right. 2020. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Awesome. So yeah, the, covers, the, the cover's got to get done. And then in September, I spend a lot of time just whittling down the player list. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a job to figure out who are the 800 and something players who are going to get those boxes, right? right? You know, you can sort the players by playing time in September and get a bunch of them, but then you always get the, you know, as many times as I sift that list, then you get the guy like your Tanner Houck who throws, you know, four gem starts in the, you know, second half of September. And now everyone's gonna be talking about him. I got to make sure he's on the list. So (laughs) someone else has got to come out, you know, and then there's, um, you know, then Brent's doing some stuff around the same time, usually coordinating all the, the articles and all the, all the, all the, um, all the written word, like, like I was saying earlier that I don't pay any attention to. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we have a, uh, uh, for the player boxes themselves, a team of uh, approximately a dozen writers or so, um, which we try to, uh, you know, we, we try to mix it up some, um, but it's a, it's a pretty unique skill set to find, uh, you know, writers uh, that can, that can think analytically uh, and write uh, concisely because there's not, you know, a lot of room uh, and make it engaging and, fun when we need to you know uh to keep it uh you know there's a certain there's a certain kind of voice that we're uh looking for um so i i you know during the end of september we kind of uh review and make sure that uh the, the people that we're asking back from last year are interested in doing that if there's any new writers kind of uh give them some trials or or walk them through kind of what we're looking for um and then uh you know so that once once the player lists are done and all the stats are finished the end of the actual end of the regular season um you know within usually within a week or 10 days or so after that we have the basically the pay the player pages that you see there uh you know um ready to, as you see them except for the commentaries written out those get uh, you know divvied up among these writers um and then for the next four, five, six weeks, um, it's just a constant, uh, you know, revising those back and forth with the uh, with the player pages. Um, you know, you'll we have a couple couple other kind of editors, uh, different steps of the ladder um, that, that work with the writers real close. And then of course, um, you know, all three of us see them. Um, and during that process too, it's not just the it's not just the commentaries and the boxes, but it's also, uh, you know, we ask those writers on each page to say, you know, how realistic, given all the analysis you've done, 
is that sort of baseline projection for next year. Um, and so there's certain tweaks that we, uh, a good number of tweaks that we make on, on that line uh, each year, you know, should, should Fernando Tatis get that many at bats and how, and if he doesn't, and we move his at bat total down to what we think next year, how does that affect the rest of the stats? And uh, sometimes it's uh, on the top end with the, with some of those players, um, it gets, there's some quite interesting conversations, let's, let's, let's say, between the three of us. Yeah, for sure. I've said before, you know, Brent was talking about the jobs he's done on the site. And, you know, we've both been working here for more than 20 years now. I, I had to look earlier because, Ron, I guess it was 2004 was the year you started farming out the pl- some of the player boxes and not doing them all yourself. And it's still in this, after doing it for all these years, there is no kind of intimidating like there is staring in one of those forecaster boxes that, that, that has a blank commentary that you're looking <laughs> at it like, okay, what am I supposed to put here? You know, you can sit there and you get all these numbers in front of you. You're like, I got to make sense of this. You know, it's, uh, it's, it doesn't get old. It's quite, it's quite the opposite of that. Yeah. Well, 15, 20 years ago, the, the stats that were in the box were a lot more rudimentary. It was kind of easier to kind of analyze what was going on. We, we didn't have all these advanced metrics that we have now. You know, and I, I, I can't imagine how I possibly was able to write all this stuff myself back in the 1990s and the early 2000s, but there just wasn't as much to analyze. So um, now it's the task is absolutely daunting with all the numbers that are there. Um, so uh, I give all those analysts, those all our writers there a ton of credit uh, because it's not an easy task. Right. And I know I have this question later on in the show, but since we're on all the new metrics and information uh, that's available. Um, what do you think is it, it comes to a point where it's too much? Is it too much? Is there a line that we draw and we say, what, what, what's really actionable here in all these new metrics? Yeah, you know, it's a really important question. And it's one we struggle a lot with. To be honest with you, I think it's one that having to do a printed book and having to make choices about space on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper actually keep us on keeps us honest with that because you could sit here and have an endless database online of stats to just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll but trying to tell a picture uh paint a picture of a player in a box that's you know nine lines long and has 55 words of commentary and you can fit in all the metrics you want within that box makes you make some hard choices about how you're measuring the player and not having infinite information there. Um, you know, we try to be, be efficient with it. You know, one of the new metrics we have in the book this year is the uh, quality of batted balls, right. which we boy, which uh, for batters, which is a sort of a marriage of exit velocity and launch angle. But one of the cool things we did with that, uh, Eric Floramonte, who developed that metric for us, he basically broke exit velocity, launch angle and launch angle variability into letter grades. So you get a, you know, a QBAP could be, is a three, three character code, like, you know, BAF or what have you. And really it, it gets back to your question, the point of that's enough information. You don't need to know that the launch angle is exactly 90.7 this year and 90.9 last year. And, you know, you get the, you know, you get the broad sorting of it in that three character metric and, you know, trying to, and it also makes it more accessible to people. Right. And just so trying to do those, do do those kind of things in the presentation of all the data, rather than just dropping 
mounds and mounds and mounds of data on you and saying, here, go sort it out. I just, you know, is I think one thing that keeps the, keeps the metrics usable, which is, you know, the most important thing. Right. And I love that variability grade because um, to me, it, it's, it's, you know, instead of being able to look at, you know, if they're hitting in the ground a lot or in the air a lot, it's just a consistent level, the consistent lane that you want to see them hitting it in. Um, and I know there's been a ton of work by other brilliant analysts out there on that. And it, it's cool to see, you know, and I saw at first, I'm like, oh, QBAB. I'm like, is this, you know, BAB? How come everything... <laughs> <laughs> it is bad um but yeah i was i was thrilled to see that i remember when i read the article during the season about it and i was thrilled to see it included in the player box because like you said there's so much in that little player grade right there that you can tell from a batter so yeah it's um it definitely helps Ron, what about you? Is there a metric that you think that um, any new metric that has caught your eye as something you see like real actionable going forward like uh, uh, a real big one? I think we're still learning. I mean, there, right. there's there's so much stuff out there now that um, does a really good job of describing what goes on. And, and I think we need to get to the point where they become more predictive and we're not at that point yet. And I think that becomes more of the holy grail of what, of what we're looking for. And, you know, just the, the process itself of, of going through all these new metrics, I think we need to get to a point where things start to consolidate and we, we, because there are just so many things going in different directions and there's so many redundancies that um, until we, we start consolidating things and, and figuring uh, the best way to present and analyze the data, um, it's, it's still kind of a wild, wild west of, of sabermetrics right now. And I, we, we haven't gotten to that point yet. Right. Yeah, it's, um, it is, it is a wild, wild west because I'm always asking myself, am I using this metric the right way? You know, because um, I feel like you can get in total trouble if you don't really know how to apply it. And maybe everyone who's applying it in the way you think is right is applying it wrong. So um, it's, it's, it's such a tough game where you really, that's why I draw a line. It's like, okay, that's enough. Like um, the, these are the metrics I know that work for me. So the more I take on, I know my, I try to like test my brain to see how much I can absorb, but after a while, it's just, it's too much. There's so many things out there too. Oh, hundred percent. I can tell you my, uh, my godson, who's a college kid texted me last week and, you know, he's like, he was reading, he was reading the articles that were going around last week on seam shifted wake. And he's like, wow, this is cool. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I'm like, yeah, I, I just can't. <laughs> right. hey, talk, talk to me when some when when that's gone through a couple more iterations. It, it may well be the greatest thing since sliced bread, but you know I'm going to let some other people figure that out for a while, and you know, and, and we'll take it from there. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I'll let I'll let everyone else, um, the smarter people than me, um, tell me how actionable it really is, totally. how much it moved the needle. If they could quantify it, I like looking at it. It is cool. I you know I think right now for me it makes me understand pitching in general more but I don't understand you know I don't think it's going to help me win the ERA um, you know column or strikeout column anymore than your standard strikeout metrics um, but it definitely is fascinating but um, yeah it's it's a lot oh yeah lot I, I don't mean to demean the work they're doing no anyway. no yeah right it's absolutely fascinating I just I, I can't process it yet so I'm going to let them keep boiling the water for a little while longer until until yeah. I see what's at the bottom of the pot at the end right yeah I think absolutely. that's why I end up just relying on on things like expected ERA expected batting average expected home runs expected stolen bases 
the formula already does the work for me of assimilating some of those uh, those other more granular metrics and, and it assembles them into a something that I can understand to compare to what's actually going on. So, you know, worse, you know, at the end of the day, I end up relying on those types of things a lot. Yeah, I mean, and that's the, you know, that's the beauty, I think, of what uh, your work early on and what we've tried to continue is, is making, uh, you know, making that actionable, uh, simple things, um, you know, uh, you know, highlighting that for uh, people. I think that's been a big part of, uh, you know, the baseball HQ and forecaster kind of success over the years. Right. Yeah, I mean, we still use base performance value. It's nowhere near the original formula that you wrote yeah. however many years ago, Ron. But the you know the concept of having the single number is still relevant today, if not the inputs we used to it, right? Yeah, yeah, it still works. Right. So, Ron, tell me about the birth of Babs. What 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 in your brain decided this was the way that you wanted to go? Um, well, the birth of Babs starts with uh, the Mayberry method, really. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just the whole process of realizing that uh, we, we can't project statistics with a level of, of precision that is really helpful to us because it's the process is, is just too flawed and there's too much variability. So Mayberry method was a step towards starting to uh, um, provide profiles of players based on their underlying skills and Babs just kind of takes it a next step further. So, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's an, it's an imprecise game where we're playing this game with human beings who uh, are not stat producing machines and we have to uh, be able to allow for that uh, variability. And I think that's uh, what Babs and uh, Mayberry are all about. Right. And I think one of my favorite lines that um, is you, you can't, eject the human element you know um there's that human element in 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 people that we can't put on paper and quantify and um you know i i totally um, embrace that from the start because first i thought when i started using the mayberry method i was like okay this is this is something that um it, it takes all this awesome stuff that I'm learning and puts it into a simple code. So it kind of made drafting, you know, a little easier for me. Um, but then once I really got involved with it more and more, I was like, wow, it's simple, but yet it's complex in its own nature. And um, I loved it. And um, then once you came out with Babs, it, 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 it really helped me to identify because last year, uh, you know, guys like Corbin Burns and Tasker, um, I, I made sure to target them later on drafts and I bumped them up around the two because how, you know, how, how hard they were on the Babs list. And I feel like that's the, that's the best thing for me is that later round where you see these, the skill set that really, um, come up to the surface and like this year, Brent, Brent Suter, <laughs> I, I have him in like six draft and hold that I've done because <laughs> I'm all over him this year. <laughs> So that's cool. So do you think there's another level after Babs? There's always another level. I there's always, that's a great yeah. answer. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't found it yet. We're still kind of fine tuning Babs. So uh, I think we'll get there eventually. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So before I want to ask you guys about Tout Wars, I want to ask you what's the favorite league that you guys play in and what's the most obscure league that you've been a part of, whether it be the, the categories played with or any, any um, feature that, you know, in the league that's out like, wow, that was, that was crazy that what we did in that league. Brent, you want to go first? 
Sure. Uh, let's see. I I probably uh, enjoyed a couple of score sheet leagues that were that I'm a part of. Uh, you know, they're they're like uh, for those who aren't familiar, they're simulation uh, leagues where you're creating, you know, you're in batting orders and uh, pitching rotations, and and score sheet is a uh, you know takes takes your teams and kind of play each other uh, similar in a way than that uh, Stratomatic or other simulation leagues do. Uh, but it's but it's week to week. It's using the current uh, year stats. So I, I really uh, enjoy that format um, that I played for a while. The probably the cr craziest league I played in was was uh, one of the Tout Wars experimental leagues. Was some sort of head to head. I think it might have been the first or second year that they uh, did a head to head league, and uh, I can't remember exactly. It, it was very non-traditional and especially for myself who hadn't played any head-to-head -head at all uh it uh, it took quite a bit uh quite quite a bit of extra sort of different types of thinking for me to uh to uh think about how to attack the draft and in season and i think i finished okay in it but it was uh, uh the categories i don't remember exactly what they were um, but it was it was stuff that I was not familiar with. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's always fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So for me, I guess you know, one league that I've been in, I'm actually not in at the moment, but um, I got in this league in college. It was a uh, 24 team. It's actually an app uh, table game league, um, where like literally like play by mail, which has now become play over the internet and, you know, you manage your team with 35 man roster dynasty format all year long, but you actually roll dice or, you know, push the button on the computer and play the games too, which I loved. Um, I actually, that's actually the one thing that gave in life. And I, I actually got out of that league because of the time commitments of like keeping stats and that kind of thing were just right. kind of insane. Um, but you know, I love the league so much. And I played in that league for like 20 years and, you know, I had a lot of good friends in the league. I'm actually the non-playing commissioner in that league now, just to sort of keep my hand in it, just to uh, keep in touch with the guys that we're having the, uh, in fact, I'm sitting through their like eight hour zoom draft on Saturday, which I'm <laughs> kind of not really looking forward to, but you know, <laughs> But at the other end of the spectrum, um, you know, in the last couple of years ago, one thing I've never done before that I find to be like way more fun than I ever expected is I'm in a home run derby league. It's like a league with one category. Wow. <laughs> it's actually like remarkably fun. <laughs> it just goes to show you that like you can, you know, you, you can make fun games as simple or as complicated as you want. And it's just straight, straight home runs. Yeah, it's straight home runs. It's like, you know, it's an online, it's pool almost like a, you know, almost like a, the equivalent of like an NFL survivor pool with like a whole bunch of people in it. You know, everyone kicks in 10 bucks. There's prizes for like most home runs in the month, most home runs in the first half, most home runs in the second half, whatever. It's, yeah, it's great fun. Most, you know, most home runs in, you know, consecutive days, you know, who could have the longest streak. It's, you know, wow. it's, yeah. there's a whole bunch of ways to, you know, make that entertaining. And, you know, I actually enjoy the heck out of it. That's fascinating. I like the idea of that. Vaughn, what do you got? You playing any crazy leagues? Uh, well, not crazy leagues anymore, but I'll, I'll tell you a story about one crazy league I was in. But my favorite league right now is probably the XFL, <clears throat> which is uh, sort of a hybrid uh, keeper dynasty format. It's uh, 15 teams mixed of 40-man uh, rosters. 
we we have a live draft each year, usually at First Pitch Arizona, and uh, then a uh, a supplemental draft, uh, seventeen players to fill out our reserve our rosters in March. And uh, I like I like the league. It's it's um, it's 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 low maintenance. We have a, a supplemental. Um, uh, free agent draft every month, once a month. And we just uh, manage our rosters during the season on a week to week basis. And it's, um, I like building a roster and then going through the cycles of the whole dynasty type thing. So uh, I really enjoy that. The strangest league I was in, I was um, invited to participate this one year by Lenny Melnick and Irwin's willing. And this was the craziest league. The way they set this thing up is that, they pulled a team roster out of a hat and they would just go down the 25 man roster for that team and put the players up for bid. Now, if you did, nobody wanted a player, they would just pass and go on to the next player. But the thing was, you never knew which team was going to come out of the hat next. So you had to build your roster, not knowing what was coming. Wow. And, and what ended up happening with this league was that the last team out of the hat was the Mets. And Mike Piazza was the first name on the list and everybody had already filled all their catcher spots. So Mike Piazza went undrafted. This was like in 2000, 2001, thereabouts in this league because the Mets were the last team out of the hat. He was the first, he was the first player taken in a reserve round. It's just, wow. It was a ridiculous league, but yeah, that's pretty interesting. (laughs) I mean, just the, just the raw suspense of not knowing, you know, like you said, you're going to have to anticipate the team build a little bit because yeah. you don't know. You just don't know. Wow. Wow. That's that's pretty fascinating. I got into a league um, about six years ago and um, a gentleman at work invited me into a league. He told me it's a roto league, but, you know, we don't play with the West teams. And I said, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, where we started the league, you know, in the early 90s, we didn't have access to teams in the West. Um you know that that next day so we you know we just stuck to the teams in the east and the midwest and i was like oh but you know we have the internet now and <laughs> and cbs sports line handles all that but they still they kept to like um a percentage of teams per per um per owner so they have like a a formula that said 22 teams if there's 12 owners or whatever it is but that that that, that wasn't the that i thought that was the craziest thing about the league but then i got to the draft me and my brother entered the league at the same time and we went to the draft and so the first and it was the 8 a.m draft there's 8 a.m in the bronx and we were all like oh great we had coffee bagels we're we're all ready to go and um First guy gets called up for a dollar and my brother goes six right off the bat. And a guy goes, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? And my brother goes, I'm bidding. And he goes, no, it goes around the table. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, um, I never played in a, in an auction like that. So he goes, no, it goes in order around the table and you could stay in or you could, you know, not pass. If you pass, you can never get back in on the player. And I was like, wow, Mike, this is, this sounds like we're going to be here all day. And they're like, yeah, last year we were here for 11 hours. I'm like, Oh God. (laughs) So it was so fascinating because I, not only was there a limited player pool, but now, you know, the whole, the whole auction dynamic just threw me for a loop. And um, I just never thought to ask like, you know, well, what kind of auction is it? it?" Because I never knew there was a different type of auction. And um, 
at first I didn't like it. The first year I didn't like it, but the second year I used it to my advantage because every time I was out on a guy, I just sat on my computer and I just retooled my strategy while everyone else was bidding. I was like, okay, you know, crossing guys off and, you know, reformulating numbers. And, um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's as far as I go as crazy leagues, but. Um, that's, that's the way it was originally written in the, uh, the rotisserie league baseball book in 1984. That's how they described the auction back then. That's how they did it. That's how it was, right? That's how it was, yeah. It seems like who you sit next to becomes critically important in that setup. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Right, right. And you know what? It also, it it gave guys the ability, you know, to like, guys were reading on the fly. They would bust out their magazines and they're like looking and they're like, hold on a second. Um, Who's, how much is this guy up for? And oh my God, it's a process when when it's taken that long and people are doing evaluations on the fly, it was just too much for me to handle. Um, but um, it's, it's, that's, that's the way it is. Um, so tell me about the origin of Tout Wars. And um, I know you guys are involved with it this year in, um, I think Ron and Brent, you guys are in the auction part, right? You're in the auction league and where you're in a regular snake, mixed snake. Yes. Yeah, so I'm in the Tout Snake and I've almost lost track of where everybody else is. We've got, yeah, Brent's in one, Ron's in one. We've got Doug Dennis, Patrick Davitt, Ryan Bloomfield, Phil Hertz, all representing us in the various configurations of Tout Wars this year. Tout's your baby, Ron. What are we playing this year? Uh, actually, I'm not. I'm not in the uh, the mixed auction this year. I moved to. We, we're doing a new league this year. Um, oh, you moved. That's right. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we decided. To, you know, the the actually today I was just writing an article for the Athletic about this. The um, the, uh, the, the statistical landscape in baseball has been changing and a lot of leagues are moving away from uh, the pitching categories of wins and saves and trying to find other uh, types of categories to go with. So this, uh, it's sort of kind of an experimental league, I guess. It's, uh, it's going to be a 12-team uh, straight draft league. Wins re- uh, replacing wins is innings pitched and instead of saves, we're doing saves plus holds. And uh, we're going to see how playable that is with, you know, whether it's still uh, an interesting uh, competitive experience or whether, you know, we, we need to have wins and saves in order to, to do it. But that's uh, that's a new tout league. I decided to, to switch over to that just to participate in, in that new type of uh, experience to see how that goes. As far as how, uh, how tout started, it was uh, an outgrowth uh, after um, the first experts league, which was, which was labor, which was started by baseball weekly back in 1994. Um, a bunch of us after about four years in that league, not terribly happy the way it was run, thought we could run it better. And uh, so we uh, <clears throat> decided to uh, form a, another experts league. And so Tout Wars uh, was, uh, was started in 1998, basically rather than having a, a central organization running it like baseball weekly and Gannett, the league was essentially owned by the owners. Everybody right. who participated had an equal share in the decision-making and running the league. And uh, it's uh, grown over time into well, I got six or seven leagues now. So uh, it's doing pretty well. We had the fantasy land written about us and the documentary and all that sort of stuff. So um, it's, it's been a fun ride. Awesome. Yeah. I, I interested in, in that whole um, changing of uh you know, the stats that we use to play. Um, I know, again, another question I had for you guys later on, um, because 
I know that a lot of leagues are tending to change off of wins and saves. And, um, you know, I even have, a, you know, uh, I know a lot of people even called to stolen bases to not even be a part of it. And I know you said um, from wins to innings pitch and save to saves and hold, I know in your babble leagues, that's, that's just standard. That's the standard right. part of the four by four. All right. Um, had, I, I enjoyed that last year uh, and not because I won one of the leagues, but because uh, <laughs> I, it was so different because I think, you know, a lot of people when they tend to get different rules or, you know, it was like, Oh, we play a best ball league or try another league and people get too, um, too, too into the fact that they can't do another league, but I just think it makes me better all around when I try something different and I'm looking at the play pool in a whole different way. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm getting better as a, you know, as a player, as a, as, as an evaluator of talent, um, it's just totally different. Um, so I wanted to know, do you guys think that, um, first, my question was, you know, did you, did you think the fantasy landscape like 20 years ago would be where it is now? And do you feel like anything will change um, concrete going forward? Like will saves be eliminated? Will wins be gone? Or will stolen bases be gone? Yeah, it seems like the pace of change is picking up. Um, this is something that Ron clipped from me in the intro to the forecaster, how we're just three years into, it's been like not even three years since Sergio Romo came out as the first opener one, I think it was right. a, a May evening in, ten, in Anaheim <laughs> a couple of years ago, right? And you know, already the way pitch, pitching is being used has changed so much in those three years. You know, everything from the openers to the fracturing of the closer market. But then you go back to, you know, you go back 20 years and you think about how baseball, you know, not the fantasy game, but baseball itself has come out of the dark ages. Don't forget that, you know, Billy Bean got a book written about him because he actually figured out that walks were good. I mean, that was the, <laughs> <laughs> that was the level of analysis we were talking about in like 2003, right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're doing a little better than that now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Great way to um, snapshot that. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I think it, I think it does depend, uh, you know, it depends what, what kind of, uh, changes are happening, you know, on the major league field kind of thing. Um, uh, you know, like you said, with the, with the openers and, you know, the reduced number of inning pitch for starters, um, that, that, you know, eventually, you know, trickles down and, and, and uh, gets some of us to say, well, what, you know, are our wins uh, important to keep as a category? And should we try innings pitched or, uh, you know, or quality starts or something else. Uh, and the same thing with the, uh, with the saves, obviously. Um, so I think, so I think a lot of that, you know, I don't know that we can predict it specifically other than, uh, other than I think it, it, it does somewhat our, our fantasy, you know, categories and, and that's will kind of reflect in some ways sort of what, what changes are made sort of, or, or what trends are being made kind of on the field uh, as far as statistics and, and, and that. Rob, I'd be curious what your thoughts are on that from like the NFBC perspective, because like on the one hand, I feel like data will be, you know, that's sort of an old school format, national competition. I'm not sure it's a, a change friendly environment on the one hand. Right. And on the other hand, I think we're not that far away from the point where, 
the way these categories are changing make those contests not a contest of skill anymore. And I think when you get to that point, maybe things can change very quickly. Right. Yeah. I, it's interesting because I heard, you know, Saris on a podcast, you know, he was talking about how, talking about stolen bases in general and, you know, he was saying how, you know, the 650 OPS is what, is what you need to keep, keep a regular job and 15 stolen bases and a 650 OPS, if you filter it, it's only 18 guys projected for that this year. And, you know, we're all fighting for those guys for stolen bases. And, you know, at one point does that just get, you know, um, just thrown out and say we don't need this anymore but yeah on an nfbc level i don't know if that's going to change if you know i i don't think it's a change for, I'm, i've only been involved with it for a year but it seems pretty you know concrete and tra- traditional um you know stats and i just feel like for the relief pitchers i think it's the biggest thing because um the saves plus hold i think it just it just brings in another um bunch of players that really hold a lot of value in the real game itself and to just completely eliminate what they could bring to the table um, is, I just think it's, um, I just think it, it adds a, a whole nother level of um, analysis, but I, I think it's, it makes sense. It's an, it's an intuitive move, you know, mm-hmm. to, to include it. Um, but I know in my home leagues, we, we, we change to all that, the state plus holds, um, you know, OBP. I know a lot of people don't really like the whole OBP thing either, but um, again, you know, like you said, walks are good, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, so yeah, I don't know what they're going to do on the national level. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll stay, you know, with the traditional, um, you know, stats, but um, who knows, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's such an interesting topic. You know, I know a lot of people don't really care. They just like, no, this is the way it is. And we'll strategize it to, you know, the landscape as it is. But um, it's, it's funny either way, but it's just an interesting thing to think about because of how much is changing. You know, I know Ron, like you noted in the, in the intro to the forecast of the shift and the, the innings pitch for the relievers and the wins, you know, and it's getting towards like a 50, 50 split and not, just from last year's crazy landscape, it was trending toward that, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So um, very interesting, you know, it's just, I think it's going to change the way we build um, starting pitching. And um, if it keeps going this way, which is one of the reasons why I'm leaning toward the whole pocket aces, uh, you know, approach is because I just feel like there's so many limited guys who can give you that innings bulk and I want them, you know, Um it was never really my strategy uh, last year in, and on my DC team, I, I didn't go that strategy, but I got uh, Trevor Bauer in the fifth and Lance Lynn in the seventh, but I felt they were guys who I can trust giving me 200 innings. Um, and I found them later on. I just don't see those guys with that innings potential now in those later rounds. It's all getting pushed up. Um, I'm curious to see what you guys think about the whole starting pitching landscape and trying to project innings this year. Um, it seems like a mess, but um, yeah. What do you guys think about that? It's a mess. It's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. <laughs> it's yeah, a mess. I, I, I think that it's, that it is, uh, I, I'm so, so, sort of surprised that in a general conversation, I'm not sure that's being, that that's being quite talked about as much. Um that you know that how different 2021 is going to be uh because of because of the 60 game season right uh, there how that 
should affect or alter, um, you know, the starting pitchers values and stuff and in, in what we're in the middle of now in draft in draft season. Uh, I, I just think it's, I mean, there is, there is some, uh, aspect of, you know, well, everyone's, uh, you know, you're, you're, uh, everyone's dealing with that and, and, and that's probably somewhat behind what, uh, seems to be, you know, an elevation of kind of some of the starting pitching values out there. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, is, you know, there has to be, to me, there has to be sort of a ceiling there too, where the return uh, of, of what you're going to get for that, you know, for that second round starter pick or whatever, who, who uh, may only, you know, may, may top out at 180 innings or something is not as, uh, as, as good uh, use of your resources as, as something else. Uh, right. Interested. I mean, interested to see, you know, in the next several weeks, especially uh, as we get into some more of these drafts, how that develops and if there's more discussion about that in our community. I think that's right. Sorry, Ron. Um, I think that's right in that I think, um, you know, there's, you know, I've seen some people online trying to track the, you know, teams that are going with the six band rotation or, or, um, you know, have gone public with innings limits for pitchers, but, you know, with pitchers and catchers, you know, literally reporting this week, I wouldn't be surprised if a week from now, when someone's compiled that list of what is currently six or eight teams and a week from now, just because everyone's at camp and reporters are asking the question, that number is going to be like 26 teams. <laughs> then you know, uh, suddenly everyone, in the, everyone who plays these games is be pulling their hair out. Like, Oh my God, guy <laughs> is falling. No one's going to pitch more than 160 innings. What are we going to do? I'm expecting that like roughly 10 days from now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Exactly. And I'm, I was going to mention, I mean, I, I'm surprised that how few teams have been open about, yes, we're going to try six man rotations, but um, I think what's going to end up happening if I would make a prediction is I think every team will end up having some configuration of a six man rotation, even if that sixth man is a bullpen game. Right. Um, because uh, you, you can't bump up pictures from, from 80 innings in one year to 180 the next and not expect some type of fallout. I just don't see that happening. And I was going to mention this before. I'll mention it now. They've deadened the ball. And what kind of effect yeah. is that going to have on everything? I mean, right. throw everything out the window now. You know, it's... Um, yeah, yeah this, I, I don't this know is, what to think of that. I mean, yeah, it's... I, yeah, and I, and the other thing too is just that I think you know I think that the the flat out sort of injury rates, especially of pitchers, are going to go are, are going to be higher because of the you know because of the lack of innings last year, and uh, teams will certainly get to a point um, you know and and tr and try to and try to weigh this, but there's going to be teams that you know push guys harder than they should and all that kind of thing, um, so. You know, I, I just think about the, the you know, the depth and the flexibility that we as fantasy players are going to have to uh, acquire and kind of think about, I think, in managing those, uh, you know, those starters kind of throughout the whole year. Right. What would you say to, um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've heard a couple of people mention, okay, you know, um, such and such uh, had an, an injury the first half of a year, went on to pitch 80 innings in the second half and the next year came back to pitch 180 you know is, is that something it's happened before so why can't it happen this year 
you know, um, uh, that kind of thinking that, you know, um, pitchers do have the ability to bump up their innings, but maybe just not the younger pitchers, maybe the more veteran pitcher, the Lance Lynn's per se, you know, maybe he's not as prone to um, being, you know, um, limited as much as a younger pitcher. Sure. But every pitcher only pitched seven or eight innings. Right, right. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's and it and it's worse than that, right? Because I mean, you think about what they went through. They all came to camp at this time last year and were getting ready for like a month, and then yeah. they went home. And Lord knows what they did. Lord knows what they ate. Lord knows whether they right. were throwing or not. And then they came back to camp in July, and you know the, the rules were different. They were all just playing intra-squad games for a month, and then trying to ramp up their innings. And there were then there were extra pitchers on the roster, and at the end of July when the season started, so nobody was ready to go all that deep into games. And then some teams made the playoffs, and some teams didn't. So some guys right. got some more work in, and then some guys got shut down. It's you know, it, I, I can't believe teams are going to write universal rules because how do you write universal rules to cover what I just talked about? You right. Know, Brent right. and I had a conversation about, you know, Runner Rodriguez last week who had, you know, missed the entire season with myocarditis. And, you know, sounds like he's roughly on track to start to, to come back and pitch this year. But, you know, what does that mean? When, what are the restrictions? And that's, you know, that's just one guy who had a serious medical condition. But, you know, my point is there, you know, you're not writing universal rules there, you know, 600 individual pitchers who are all going to have some version of their own rules. Right. Yeah. I mean, I even know. guys like David Price and uh, Marcus Stroman, I sure, mean, right. fine, but they, where do, where do you put them? You know, projections for them just assume, well, 2019 plus, I don't know what it's, you just don't know. Right. Especially for Price 36 now, right. Yeah. I think um, yeah. that's uh, not going to be an easy feat for him, but I know Lucas Giolito was on MLB network last night and he was talking about how he tried to, you know, um, keep throwing after the season ended and do like a simulated game. And he admitted that it wasn't, you know, yeah, I know I wasn't facing MLB hitters, but I was just trying to um, replicate what, you know, my, my pitching schedule passed past the fact um and, you know, when you say everyone pitched 80 innings last year, not Kohi Arihara, he pitched 120. <laughs> uh, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But, um, yeah, very a very fascinating landscape, um, the pitching right now. So it, it, thinking you guys, you know, go early bats, is, is where do you see yourself getting back into the pitching? Where do you see getting your pitching from if it comes from, like, round four or five, six? Or um, do you have any specific guys that you like um if you're doing the zag if you're going back to early you know who who you're focusing on in those middle rounds to beef up your pitching staff it's really funny i did a draft i was i, I don't brent wasn't in the league but i was he was kind of looking over my shoulder it was you know, one of the nfpc draft and holds and i had the 15 spot and i took bellinger and harper at the first wheel and i'm like ah, look at this offense look how smart <laughs> i am and then a three four turn came and i'm like oh i'll just get some pitching here and i looked to see what pitching was left and i'm like Oh, Bellinger and Harper was a terrible idea. <laughs> you know, I ended up with, uh, I think I got Tyra Glass now as my, uh, as my SP1 you know, on that turn there. And I ended up like collecting a few more pitchers behind him a, few, a little earlier than I normally would have because 
well, you know, Tyra Glasnow is not exactly your money in the bank SP1. So um, it's yeah. a balance. Um, you know, Brent and I have the wheel in a uh, industry draft next week. We were we were watching the waiver draft last night, kind of talking about it. And, you know, we at least talked about doing pocket aces from the wheel. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, something that as recently as four or five years ago, I'm pretty sure Ron would have fired anybody who worked for him and did that <laughs> in, an, in an expert league. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, do, I, I do think, you know, that there is, uh, I mean, you mentioned it earlier. I mean, I think within the whole landscape, you can kind of feel a little more comfortable with the Lance Lins or the, or the veteran guys to be able to kind of uh, to give you those innings, then you can, um, you know, the, the, the young guy that you like that has this, you know, wild stuff, even if he gave you a great month last year you know just uh because of the age and and being uh, comfortable with the workload and so there is you know i think there is some uh you know there there is some reason to to think about maybe going after at least one pitcher early in that in that really top tier um be you know because of that but you know they're all pitchers too so uh, right it takes one forearm strain, you know, uh, that takes you down that road that uh, that can wreck a draft too. That's what part part of the allure for me too is like, all right, well, if one guy does get that injury, I still have that one other ace. <laughs> it's like another way I'm viewing it, but yeah, I know the that that can definitely happen very easily. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many ways to play it, and right. I mean, I I I think in at least one draft, I'm probably gonna pass i'm probably going to fade the early pitchers and and try to to fish in the mid rounds and then backfill with some of these incredible middle relievers who are putting up enormous stats that can stabilize your ratios and just you know deal with an andrew heaney or a drew smiley who's going to give me a 450 era but give me a lot of strikeouts and you know hope the best because um you know there are a lot of variables this year and, and i'm sure there are some we haven't even considered yet Right. I feel like, you know, um, speaking of the middle relievers, you know, Devin Williams, um, you know, only 27 innings of lights out pitching, you know, yeah. uh, but, you know, um, again, wasn't really a, a great pitcher two years ago, but, mm-hmm. you know, how, how, how secure are you feeling, you know, taking him just as early as some of these um, guys who may have had a good eight, nine start run this year. And Ray, getting back to your point, um, I did that on in one of my drafts where I was at the wheel last year. I was at 14 and I went the hitting route because Delich fell and I wanted Harper in a league. But yeah, when it came back, I was like, I still went back to batting because the pitching there was like, oh, like, do, do I really want to pick Framber <laughs> right, at pick right. 50, <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or a, a guy that like, um, cause at that point it was a, it was a crazy draft and I did a battle of the podcast draft and, and pitching was just nuts. Framber Valdez went 50 and, you know, my went 32 or 33 and it was just, uh, everything was just flying off the board and, oh man, it was just a totally different landscape. And then, you know, you always got to remember that I feel like, you know, stay in the NFBC world for a second. So much of the ADP gets set by right. the draft and hold leagues, which are, a different animal than the weekly fab leagues and in the weekly fab leagues i think 
this problem that we're talking about is going to be is going to manifest itself in some crazy in-season stuff with, you know, pitching rotations getting juggled all the time and, you know, six, six man rotations or guys getting phantom DL'd and, you know, teams using openers and all those sorts of things. And one thing I'm, I've got in mind for when we get to that point for, you know, in for, for uh, drafts that have in-season transactions is, if you're going to, I think there's a path to stay away from the top pitchers, but when you build that big offense, you need to build it with multi-position flexibility without clogging your util spot and set yourself up so that your entire bench can be pitchers and just use the roster spots to churn them and have a quote unquote, set it in, set it in, forget it offense that not only puts up big numbers, but doesn't chew up any roster spots so that you can use, you know, six of your seven NFPC bench spots to churn the nine active pitchers every week. Right. Right. And especially with a ton of multi eligibility this year that guys gained from last year, I know like the yep. 60, right. 60, 60% of the second baseman available have multi eligibility somewhere else. Um, it's pretty wild. I think it's going to be even more key this year to roster those type of guys. Um, breaking news, though, fellas. Um, Fernando Tatis signed a 14-year extension for $340 million. That's bigger news than Tim Tebow. Much bigger <laughs> news than Tim Tebow. 14-year <laughs> wow. extension. Holy cow. Good Lord. Yeah, 14 <laughs> for 340. Wow. God bless. Uh, he's the... Um, Top ranked Mayberry and Babs guy right there, Mr. Tatis. Um, wow. Magnificent talent. Yeah. It's a, yep. There we go. We got a little breaking news in the middle of the show. And full no trade rights on top of it. Jeez. Full no trade. Wow. $10 million signing bonus. Wow. Fantastic. God bless him. I'm sure Papa's really proud. Oh, really? Show that little stick ball. Uh, the guys they were playing stick ball in the streets the other day. And <laughs> oh. Papa still had the stroke for sure. <laughs> wow, he was roping them. Um, oh, that's fascinating. So, I wanted to ask you guys a quick question on auction when you guys do an auction league. Um, just feel like, um, how you know, I wanted to know how flexible you should be in your dollar values when you walk into a draft. It's, it's um, are you guys more like strict in your you know, I'm not going past this number, or is it more like the flow of the draft where you feel like you can um, allocate a little more to a guy? Um, what are your thoughts on that? How do you like the guys play the auction game? Ron, you're the auction guy. Yeah, well, you know, there's there's, there's no such thing as fixed values because mm. we don't know what these players are really worth. We don't know what they're going to do. We have a general sense. Uh, you know, some research I did about 15 years ago said that there's a 65% uh, chance that a player is going to earn within plus or minus $5 of what his projection is. So that's, that's a $10 range and only a two third chance, two thirds uh, chance of him actually ending up in that range. So for, for you to say somebody is a $27 player. And then when the bidding stops, uh, stops at 27, you're out. That's, that's crazy. I, I think you have to read the room. I think you have to look at needs. You got to, uh, I like to sit back a little bit at the beginning of the auction and just see whether players are generally going over what my projections are. So I have a sense of, you know, how much further I'm going to have to push on certain players. Um, but I, I like to have the auction come to me and just uh, get what I need. Um, go to the limit if I need a certain type of player. Um, 
because there is no fixed value for any player. It's 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 all of a, a large range, basically. Right. And I like another one of your favorite lines: the uh, market value is what that last person bid on a player is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So two thirds uh, have have a ten dollar range. Of, um, wow, that's that's fascinating. That's that's yeah. That definitely should tell you that you don't need to. Um, you know, have a fixed value, but rather more of a, you know, a bucket, uh, I guess, a 20 to 30 per se, or 25 right. to 35. Um, yep. Yeah. But, right. Do you have any thoughts about that? Or you, you sh- I last year, uh, 51 weeks ago in Florida at first pitch, uh, I did my first auction in like 20 years. So uh, oh, really, <laughs> by, oh. All, by all means, a novice at that. Um, it oh. was fascinating, though. It was a 12 team mixed league and it started out with like very, very tepid bidding. And I thought I was, you know, I thought my dollar values were all dialed in and then I collected two or three guys that I thought I liked who I thought were under value. And then Christian Yelich came along and he was like $10 under where I had him, but I already since spent so much money that I'm like, I can't do that. It was just a, <laughs> I think I finished third in the league, but it was a, it was a complete mess of a, uh, of a first auction in 20 years, as, as you might imagine. <laughs> Ron was in that room and he was really annoying as I remember. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, I, I, uh, I'm, I mean, Ron has sort of convinced me that, uh, you know, as you said, Rob, too, kind of putting players in, in buckets, having some sense of, you know, kind of an overall rank, but, uh, but not a, uh, not a, you know, cut and dried sort of, um, uh, you know, auction value that I won't go over or whatever. Um, and then especially, as you say, once you, once you get into um, once you get into it and get a uh, you know get a couple of players on your roster and and uh, the certain category needs you uh, you know you, you target and all that kind of thing uh, then it's just really flexible. I mean, I, I, it's totally. I mean, that's what fascinates me. Fascinates me and what I love about the auctions is just how uh, you know you're just always reconfiguring uh, based on. You know the money you have to spend, uh, what the uh, you know what's left in the player pool, um, and all that. So I uh, I, I definitely uh, enjoy the the idea of preparing more in a loose manner with this with this uh, kind of mix of general sort of uh, ranking list, but also sort of buckets in where I think about. Uh, you know, each player falls as far as dollar values, but then once it's, once I get into it, um, you know, just being, uh, you know, not being bound by those numbers depending and, uh, and having confidence the whole way through to be able to, you know, when, when it ends, you'll have uh, the roster that you need with the categories you need. And, and then uh, you throw that all out the window and first pitch goes out. Right. Right. Brent, are you a um, uh, stars and scrubs type of drafter or spread the risk? You have a preference? Uh, I'm naturally more spread the risk type, um, but I, I've found, especially in some of the expert leagues uh, auctions, the, the Tout Wars mixed one especially, that I've, I've sort of pushed myself more to, um, you know, to kind of go more stars and scrubs than what I used to. But my natural inclination is kind of spreading, spreading the risk, not uh, 
you know, meaning that I, you know, on a one-year league, I'm not going to get Tatis this year, probably, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but, but finding, uh, you know, spreading that out and trying to uh, find, find that so when the inevitable injuries happen or underperformances uh, go, hopefully it doesn't, uh, you know, has, hopefully it doesn't take you down. Right. Ron, what about you? I'm actually from this, the same, uh, the profile pretty much. I, I tend, my natural tendency is spread the risk. Um, I think in, in mixed leagues, uh, stars and scrubs is a more appropriate approach because those scrubs can be more easily replaced with uh, usable major league players. But in an AL only or an NL only, I think spreading the risk is, uh, is probably uh, more beneficial. I might go a little bit deeper on a, on a starting pitcher, uh, but uh, for the most part, I'd like to spread the risk in an only league. You you have a separated within batters and pitchers, like um, like spread the risk for batters and then, you know, start and scrub for pitchers or vice versa or something like yeah, that? Yeah, we, we, we actually did research on that uh, some time ago. It, as it turns out, because you need to accumulate uh, uh, counting stats in, in four out of five categories for batters, it's best to uh, spread the risk and... and uh, uh, and accumulate those those counting stats, but with uh, pitchers, you can uh, you can manage those two ratio categories, so you don't need to accumulate quite as much. So you can have your anchor pitcher or two, and then uh, uh, basically uh, you know play merry-go-round with the the, the one dollar and two dollar players at the back of the uh, the staff. Got it. Absolutely makes sense. What about um, carrying extra money at the end of the draft? Do you guys like to have the hammer? You like to be able to go the two or does it it's not really um that important to you to try to configure into your draft i don't uh i've tried it in the past and it kind of gets in the way of of the whole concept of paying what you need to pay to get the players right absolutely i i think the there are always $1 players at the end, especially in mixed leagues there are always $1 players at the end that uh, are usable so you don't need to have the hammer my my opinion mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, I sometimes i i do hold a little bit back but again it's totally contextual it's like i you know when i need to make that decision where i'm gonna uh get to that place where i only got one dollar per player left um you know that that may that usually for me depends on what's left in the player pool and what i deem as my need for my team right now Kind of thing so uh i may hold that back in certain situations uh not a ton but just being able to kind of top somebody at the very end uh to get someone that i uh you know that i feel is much better than what the rest of the list looks like right i feel like that's a level of discipline i don't have <laughs> <laughs> like if you want to you know what play coming at it from the mixed league perspective if you want to you know, as Ron said, if you want to be a little more stars and scrubs up top, if you want to be stars and scrubs and spend a bunch of money early and you want to have the hammer later, that means you got to stay quiet for like two hours in the middle. And that's where I don't have to, don't have the discipline to do it. Right. That totally makes sense. It's like me with eating food. I can't, I can't eat slow. I'm just like, <laughs> I can. <laughs> so in drafts, um, I wanted to know, cause uh, I'm sure you guys have been involved, you know, um, in Tat Wars and other drafts where you know the opposition, you know their tendencies. And I want to know how much you're paying attention to that. Like how much do you say, okay, um, you know, 
um, Ron's picking at the end and he usually likes to do this. So I'll take this guy here so I can get this guy on the, you know, back in the second round. Um, is that something you factor into a little, a lot or not at all? Ray, you want to go first this time? I don't a ton. Uh, you know, to me, the master of this is Doug Dennis from our staff. He talks about, uh, he's an NL labor every year, you know, out, usually out in Arizona or Florida this year, it'll be on zoom, but he actually, you know, I, I often would see him like the night before the weekend before labor, I'd ask him how his prep was doing and he'd have his spreadsheet. Cause it's like the same 12 people every year. And he would say, I know this top starter is going to go for $33. I know this top shortstop is going to go for 27. You can change the names every year of who the top starter and who the t- top shortstop is, but he like, he takes the player pool, like lays it into last year's budget, like knows like to the dollar, what, you know, who the third best outfielder is and what price is going to go for and probably to who it's wow. just, it, it's freakish, you know, so, <laughs> you know, clearly there are people and Doug, Doug does great in that league and, you know, knowing the table is a huge part of the reason why I'm not, you know, I, I'm lacking some gene to be able to do that, but clearly, clearly it's a skill. I just don't have it. Right. Yeah, I, think I think the key thing is that it's, it's a stable league. It's the yeah. same guys every year. So you get to know their tendencies. I think in leagues where there's a fair amount of turnover, it's pretty, pretty much pretty difficult to be able to do that sort of thing i i i try the best i can um i think teams that have partners are are better able to do stuff like that i know uh, uh rick wolf and glenn colton they 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 tag team just about everything when they're they're in the tout wars and labor so you know everybody's one person's got an eye on one thing and the other person's got an eye on something else it's kind of hard i think when you're when you're drafting solo so i i, I kind of do the best i can but i really don't pay too much attention to it yeah, I I don't I don't pay much attention uh, to it either, um, and just yeah. kind of uh, you know j- just kind of my goal, especially when I'm by myself, is just you know get the best team that I can, knowing that there's tons of vari- variables, uh, all that kind of thing. So I don't uh, I don't pay a lot. I mean, I th- I think it's important to know the room, and sometimes in an auction, uh, you know, kind of maybe at some point saying, Oh, uh, this guy's got tons of money left and he needs pitching. So I'll nominate somebody to bleed some money out. Right. That, that sort of game I play certainly, but I don't say, Oh, um, the guy to my left, uh, look, he's shy on stolen bases. So I'm gonna, uh, you know, whatever do, you know, that, that doesn't really change, uh, my team. I just try to, I just try to, uh, stay focused, uh, put my energies into kind of building the best team I can with what uh, is left in the player pool. Right. I think you just said it perfectly because it might take away from what you're trying to do if you spend so much energy about worrying about what the guy next to you is, is lacking or might or might need. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it, I, I definitely um, see that capability in a tag team type league um, or having a partner. Um, I'm playing in a participating in a draft on Sunday um, that Matthew Davis from FTN Network put together where you had to have uh, a tag team partner. So I'm playing with Jenny Butler, who is an avid NFBC oh, nice. player. Yeah. Yeah. It's it pretty, it's it pretty interesting, but I was studying the um, labor. Um, uh, here's why I asked because I was studying the labor draft from last night because um, Fred Zinke and Jeff Zimmerman are picking right behind me and Jenny at pick 14 or 13. And I, just uh, noticed that, you know, Fred 
went um, hit or hit her on his wheel last last night. So just little things like that where I'm trying to, you know, determine like, you know, whether or not I could take the guys I want um, at that point. But uh, it's funny because the tag team thing is, is, is really interesting concept because with some things you might think it's easier, but now it's just another level of communication where I'm just, you know, um, going against my brain. Now it's just uh, a bunch of texts. It's a bunch of emails, a bunch of DMs that it's, it's, it's more, it's been more work so far because it's just another level of communication about what's the strategy, what's the KDS, you know, which guys do we want to try to get, where are we going to take closers, this and that. So it's interesting, but I'm, I'm interested to see what happens uh, going forward. It's a stacked league. It's um going to be um interesting competition so the draft is sunday and if the first fast draft they'll be involved with this year so um hopefully the it'll be um easy transition from the two hour clock to one o'clock <laughs> um i'm not anticipating that yet uh yeah so that'll be interesting so uh another question i wanted to ask you about in 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 drafts is do you, do you guys have a, a statistical targets that you're shooting for in a particular league, or you just base, you just drafting best player available. Depends, you know. I, I'll pay some attention to targets where balance matters, like in a, in a no trading format like NFBC. Uh, you know, that was one of the things that I think universally in that labor draft last night that you were following, and you know, Brent and I were watching it and I was catching up on all the tweets today. I think everybody at that draft table pointed that out, that they were less worried about balance in that format because it is a trading format and Fred Zinke's in the league, which means everybody's going to make a trade. <laughs> and, and Ryan was drafting from the bathroom. Ryan was hotel. drafting from the bathroom floor. Exactly. That, so. the, yeah. That was the big theme of the night that I kept watching. <laughs> to poor Ryan in the bathroom floor. Ryan's right now. having a week. Yeah. Uh, God bless him. I hope everything worked out for him. But yeah, so balance to me is contextual. I'll look at the, you all know, set the category targets in Rotolab just to put them in there. But am I, you know, am I fastidiously worrying about whether my 21st rounder gives me 15 homers and eight steals or eight homers and 15 steals? No. Got it. Yeah, that's, that's similar. I mean, I, I, uh, the, the, you know, the, the categories in Rotolab kind of help, uh, help be my check, uh, that I'm not, uh, you know, out and out forgetting something or, you know, really overemphasizing something at the expense of something else. Um, but, uh, but it's not a, uh, not a hard and fast kind of rule because again, you know, all those projections that we're using, uh, you know, go out the window <laughs> once the actual games start. And, uh, and then it's another, you know, then, then the game's totally different uh, with what's happening on the field and, and, uh, adjusting your roster as you need to uh, for that. And Rob, you already know what I do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, hey. it's, it's all Babs, maximizing assets, minimizing uh, liabilities. It's all the balance sheet approach. Right. And, you know, one thing that, that the bad um, ledger taught me to, uh, to a great deal is to not rely on all the extreme assets um because not putting the eggs in that one basket that this guy's gonna hit 50 and then i'll grab a couple of guys who might hit 10 homers um you know he's really trying to not um because if that one guy gets hurt or whatever and doesn't have that type of year then you know then then your team isn't as balanced as you may think you know right. so um that's one thing that really um i i 
I found that helped me a lot too. And it's not putting the eggs into that one basket. And um, yeah, just, just tallying up the skills, tallying up the assets, you know, and, and it's funny because in, in the Roto Lab is, you know, I'll, I'll have the, you know, I'll bring up the, the standings in draft and, you know, I'll just see the, you know, I'll go to the Babs tally and I see the assets and, you know, obviously you want to win your draft and I'm always like winning the asset thing. But to me is the biggest thing is to, you know, when you look at another guy, uh, I was in a recent draft and this guy was like crushing me in the assets. And uh, I then, then I look at the liability side and I said, okay, right. yeah, you're not going to feel the healthy team. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, great. It's a great way to, um, to help you during the drafts. Um, yeah. So, all right. So favorite fantasy player of all time, who wants to go first here? I've got a weird one. Oh boy. I was thinking about this today and um, I had what could only be called an unhealthy fascination with Brad Penny for reasons reasons I can't really explain. I like accumulated him in every league, like dramatically overpaid, just thought he was going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, you know, it took me way too long to realize that that's not what Brad Penny was. (laughs) That's a good one. Uh, For me, it's a little bit, sentimental uh mine is frank thomas and it's just because of the first year we uh i played it was a you know a traditional kind of uh often told story of college buddies sort of league um that actually we're still doing an al only and uh i drafted frank thomas as one of my three uh you know kind of reserve or farm picks um so i got uh got him when he came up and uh, just was a you know a fun player to follow um you know had a great batting average great uh home runs um and just you know it was fun uh rooting for such a big dude too right I love Frank Thomas great great memory of Frank Thomas my best friend caught a foul ball at Yankee Stadium that he hit um, Homer Jack Ball and um, and and bad in practice and then ran over and got his autograph uh, like three minutes later. It was a pretty cool combination. I, I, that's a memory of the big hurt I always have. <laughs> Devon, who's your favorite uh, fantasy player of all time? I've had a few. I mean, during the late 1990s, I just was just loved the Colorado Rockies during the, right. that huge offensive time. So Larry Walker was like on my team all the time. I mean, I'd, I'd pay whatever it would take to get Larry Walker, but I think. I think I'm going to be a little bit more sentimental here and, and talk about a player who was on my very, very first fantasy team in 1985. And although I didn't win that league, he, uh, he, he made my team respectable because he held down my pitching staff. And that was Dave Steeb of the Toronto Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. And he had such a great year that year with a, like a 240 ERA and uh, 15 wins or whatever. I don't know, but I just kept drafting him year after year after year. And Every year after that, he was terrible. But I kept going back to the well. And it's like, well, he's got to go back to the way he was. He had that great year in 85. and 86, he had a four ERA. 87, he had a four ERA. I mean, I kept doing it over and over again. I just, and now looking back, knowing what now, what I didn't know then, and I take a look at his statistics and I see he struck out five batters per nine innings. What, what was that all about? <laughs> pretty fascinating it's pretty fascinating when you look back at uh, yeah at the um at that you know time it was just yeah, yeah the strikeout nine it's just they weren't 
Oh yeah, you, see, you go back and you can find like closers from the eighties who had like more walks than strikeouts for the season. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I noticed that when I whip out some old Stratomatic cards, and oh man, especially the home run, you know, um, uh, the you know the steroid era. You know, I, I I pulled out an Eric Milton card, and he's like, he threw you know six six seventy six ERA, but he threw like a hundred and eighty innings. Like he kept throwing them out there, like, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it, it's funny because um, I, this is episode 43 of my podcast. And one of my favorite plays ever was Raul Mondesi, not only for, you know, fantasy, um, but just in real life. Um, my, my family had, um, had friends that had box seats, front row box seats at Shea Stadium. And um, we go there. And when he was a rookie, I remember him standing in right field and having a catch with, um, one of the guys in the team and he was throwing the ball from the right field corner, you know, to third base on a fly without even moving, like just, you know, no steps either. And I was like, wow. And he was just a really nice guy. He signed everything we gave to him. He, he brought a ball into the dugout for me and got assigned by a whole bunch of guys in the team. So I always had a, a little love for Raul Bondesi. And my first ever fantasy baseball league, it's funny because um, you got to get a kick out of this, but it, it was during that strike shortened year in 1994. I was 14 years old. I have three older brothers. So we thought it was fun to, you know, hey, hey, let's let's pick fantasy teams. And it was at the end of the year where we pick our team, almost like the retro drafts, like, you know, that were popular in the off season. And mm-hmm. it, it, it was it, it was crazy. That's why when the retro draft were you know are happening i was like man this was my first league ever where we we drafted post post season you know after the season was done and raul monacy was on my team and so was mike piazza um and i won i beat my brothers um i was super excited i don't know if they if they um let me win but um that that was a big part and that grew my love for um you know heavy hitting catchers that's uh why i'm always drawn to the catcher position is guys like piazza that helped me do that but you know ron you you pulled up some raul mondesi roto values for me had 10 straight years of over 20 dollars in value and um that's pretty pretty remarkable some of the seasons he had on top of his 30 30 season with 310 average um fascinating i wonder where that would go right now right you know um 310 32 stolen bases 30 homers 95 runs 87 ribbies like where would that get drafted right now you know second round first round probably yeah and it's funny rob because you know a lot lot of great stats there obviously but my my memory when you say the name the memory that comes back to me is the same same as you were describing was the cannon arm right you know i saw saw a ton of that he just had a laser Laser, absolutely. And um, another guy I just brought up recently, I tweeted out, was Jose Reyes' stats. You know, it just seems I saw like, that tweet. Yep. Right, it was just it seems like so long ago, and and it's just you know because I I got inspired to look it up uh, after reading Rob Silver's article in RotoWire talking about you know Adelbert Mondesi and the chances that he would have you know doing um, eighty stolen bases or seventy or even sixty because of his low low on base average. But so I just. Mm, happened to bring up Jose Reyes and I said, wow, this guy would be the number one pick right now off of that 23, 24 year old season where he had with, oh my God, just fascinating because he had the average and he, he had everything, you know, to, to be the making to that. Um, yeah, he, I, he, he earned the most Rotodolls dolls in 2006. That's fascinating. Of, that, of any player. Yeah. Ah, that's Jose. Um, and, and then, and then he, and then he, 
and then he sat out to win the batting title. How, how do you guys? How did you guys feel about that? Weak. Oh, I remember that. That's Thumbs right. down. Yeah, yeah, it's weak. Weak. Yeah, weak. weak. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, good for him that the Met finally uh, got something to, um, to put on the ledger. Even though these days it's a, a whole bunch of negative things that are happening recently, which is not too much fun. But um, I feel we end this podcast in a fun little draft. We're each going to take one pitcher and one batter um, that we feel is going to return the most value at the end of the year. Um, but the key is you can, they can only be going right now past 480p. Um, so, um, Brent, why don't you start it off? I'll go right in, right in order of my uh, Zoom camera here. We'll go Brent, Ron, Ray, and then I'll... If anybody snipes me, I'm going to be really upset here. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with the, the, we can go hitter or pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you end up with one and one. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, I'm going to go, um, Chris Archer. Oh, very nice. I like that. Uh, at this point, you know, um, at this point in the draft, I'd rather have a veteran guy like that, uh, even coming off an injury, um, you know, for the pitcher, the expectations are, are low and i just rather have uh archer maybe the maybe there's some magic going back to tampa like i like that pick ron you're up next who do you got oh i forgot we were doing this so just give me a second here i'll scroll down (laughs) you want to let ray go yeah let ray go okay do i get to go for two are we doing a snake here though We're going to do the snake, but I'm going last. So Oh, you're I'm, in it, too. Oh, okay. you're in it, too. Yeah, I'm All in right, it, fine. too. Right. So we'll give, Ron, we'll give Ron plenty of time, then. All right, <laughs> I'll take um, – I'll go hitter first. Um, Brent's going to laugh, but I'll go Roman Quinn. Ooh, uh, wow. Just because I think there might actually still – I may be the last guy dying on the hill that thinks there are 30 stolen bases there, and 30 stolen bases outside of ADP 400 is pretty darn interesting. I like that. Roman Quinn. No, that's that's decent. I mean, it's all about it's all about whether he's healthy or not. Pretty mm-hmm. Because you're right. That's that's where I mean, and the stolen bases obviously we're shooting for a dollar value return. So that's gonna be that's gonna that's a good pick. I like that. Ron, are you ready or you want me to yeah, go when you get to Yeah, snake? yeah, okay. I can go. I go. I was I was you know, I was looking at my old list and I was gonna pick Franchi Cordero, um, but uh he's he's uh in the top three hundred now. He's at like three three seventy or something. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Rich Hill. Um wow. yeah. uh, the Tampa starters. Tampa starters run in yeah. this little mini draft. Yeah, you know. Wow. Yeah, I mean they they've they've assembled quite the list of uh um, of pitchers there uh, to try to piece together whatever they can do over there, whatever magic they um, they usually pull. Um, all right, is, so and, you know, and the thing is, like one one or two of them are going to win like ten games. Yeah, you right. Know, by pitching, you know, by pitching the fourth and fifth inning, you know, at, at the right time uh, because of the offense. Yep. So I like it. Um, all right, so. Um, uh, with my first pick here, I'm going to go with Trevor Rogers of the Miami Marlins. Um, and then 
with the batter side, I am going to go, I'm going to take an upshot play here again with some stolen base value. And no, I'm going to don't pick, say it. Don't say it. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to do Billy Hamilton. <laughs> Edward Oliveras. On the oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get sniped. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So is it back to me? Yeah, back to you. All right. I'm going with stolen bases too. Uh, at ADP 421, I'm going with Miles Straw. So fielder oh. for the Houston Astros. <laughs> and the stolen bases dominating this uh, post 400 draft. <laughs> that is kind of like the last, almost the last winter question, isn't it? Is, is Jackie Bradley going to be the center fielder in Houston or San Francisco or somewhere else and then right. like you say the dominoes for miles straw and a couple other guys you know still haven't come into focus yet but that's an interesting one all right brent you're gonna uh end this off with uh another bat- pick too oh yeah right sorry <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about you I, 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 part part of me wants to extend the tampa run and take michael waka but i'm not gonna do it <laughs> <laughs> One of us, Colin McHugh. Colin (laughs) McHugh. We could have had a raised raised picture. Uh, Give me Jonathan Hernandez for the uh, save speculation at like you know ADP four forty or whatever he is right now. Yeah. All right. Yep. He was on my list. I liked him too. Uh, I'm going to finish up with uh, Jason Hayward. Ah, Pretend that it's you know whatever that is two thousand nine or eight or something and and no but uh he certainly is going to give me a lot of bats here and maybe you know maybe this is the year yeah no i think you drafted the only actual you're going to win this because that's going to be the only positive valued guy in the whole draft Uh, i was just going to say yeah you want on strictly volume alone right here hey that's the rules of the game two dollars and you won by ten one guy i was thinking about that that was going to be my hitter, um, and no one took him. But how do you guys feel about Miguel Cabrera this year? He's he he's in the four hundred and forty-five range right now. Wow! You think he's got a little thunder left? I oh. think that's too high for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. The time is time has passed on the on that right. Um, interesting. Very cool. And there is Kohi Ariara. Uh, pick a, four, a 480. Might lead the league in innings this year. It's the pitcher counting stats. That's right. Stretched arm. <laughs> he stretched out. Um, very cool. All right, guys. I, I appreciate you guys taking some time out tonight to join me. Been really awesome. Um, been looking forward to this for a long time. Um, getting to pick you guys' brains a little bit about a range of topics. As much as I really uh, know, as you know, um, following you guys for so long and you know been so immersed in the baseball hq and babs world but uh it's been really really awesome to talk to you guys um on a face-to-face level instead of just watching you guys on the forums all the time and not being able to respond and just like screaming into my computer (laughs) but what about this and ryan's like trying to uh you know deflect my eighteen thousand questions and just you know just ask one rob okay all right i'll try (laughs) love it yeah, so Rob, so- the rule is if you uh, if you go win another fat check this year, you get to keep the back cover of the forecaster. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll try. We'll call I'll you try. a two-time NFBC overall champion. <laughs> I'll try. It's gonna be uh, gonna be really tough to beat another forty-two hundred and fifty-nine people. But, well, uh, I mean, five of them are me, so that barely counts. <laughs> <laughs>
and the other and the other three hundred is is table egg or oh egg. yeah yeah <laughs> right. Even though he just popped into the for his first draft of the year, we were all kind of waiting for him to. Uh, yeah, he hadn't shown up yet, right? Yeah, he hadn't shown up yet, but um, no, uh, yeah, there's other people taking his place with massive amounts of. Uh, draft but uh i really appreciate you guys coming out um if you guys just want to take the opportunity to you know just remind i'm sure everyone who's listening to my podcast know where to find you guys by now but you know take the opportunity to talk about where they can find you on twitter what kind of um work um you're working on these days and obviously where they can find you sure i'll start uh i'm at on twitter at, at brent hq uh one of the things we didn't uh, talk about that I'll just quickly mention is that we're putting together a, uh, a first pitch Florida online yes. uh, conference in a couple of weeks uh, working uh, at firming up uh, all the speakers and uh, and uh, program uh, elements of that uh, we're going to we're uh, going to work hard to make it as interactive as possible we uh, obviously have uh, had great success doing the the live events uh, but we got some good stuff uh, planned, some drafts, and and uh, and and ways that um, ways that attendees can interact with uh, with all the writers uh, and analysts uh, that will be part of that weekend. So that's uh, March five through seven, and uh, all the uh, you can find out all the info at uh, baseballhq.com. Fantastic! I can't wait for that. Yeah, so I'm at Ray HQ on Twitter, and I'm working on everything Brent's working on. Uh, you'll also see you'll also see us in uh, you know like we said earlier the labor drafts, Tout Wars drafts, and uh, you know I'll be doing the NFBC. It's uh, I said to Brent earlier today. It's only the middle of February, but it feels like it's March already with all the stuff going on. So uh, we're gonna keep it crazy for the next six weeks or so. Awesome. And. Um... So uh, my uh, my Twitter handle is at Ron Chandler. Um, also have a Facebook page at uh, uh, ronchandler.baseball. You can find me at uh, babsbaseball.com and ronchandler.com. And uh, I'm still hanging around the old neighborhood with uh, these HQ guys uh, putting on these forums and getting involved in the book and all that sort of stuff. So uh, not hard to find me. <laughs> yeah it's cool i can't i can't wait for the uh the um the the first pitch and i can't wait to get there um myself um really gonna make an effort whenever the next live one is is i'll, I'll be the first one busting through the door we're hoping uh, for arizona this fall yeah awesome awesome yep. Absolutely. Awesome. And when is that uh, fall uh, in in November this year? Uh, the date we have held is October. I think it's seven to ten. Oh, so, okay. Um, it's we got to wait and see what happens with the AFL. Uh, but if you know now that we know, we think we know that MLB is starting and ending on time. That's one step closer to the puzzle. The next step is: Are they having an AFL? When is it starting? You know, we'll have to find out some details about that. But hopefully, we'll. Uh, Hopefully shortly after opening day, we'll be able to chisel that in stone and uh, start getting some planning going around that. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, you'll definitely see me there. I'll be, awesome. I'll be the first one through the door. And I know you you guys are presenting this week, right? Uh, at, at pitch, on PitchCon? Um, the pitch yeah, we're PitchCon? in three separate sessions, I That's think. That's awesome. Uh, Starting tomorrow, right? Yep. Yeah. 
I'm, right. I'm moderating a session tomorrow at 2, uh, 2 p.m. on uh, how to create projections with some really great speakers, Derek Cardi and uh, Ariel Cohn and Rudy Gamble. So uh, awesome. Yeah, we've got a really nice program set up for that. Very good. Very good. I'm, excited I'm also tomorrow. I think I am at uh, 7 o'clock. I'm doing a session with uh, Jeff Erickson from Rotowire and Gray Albright from Rasball about uh, snake draft strategy. So that should be super, super fun, too. And my session is on Sunday at uh, 4, um, where uh, there are several of us uh, doing kind of uh, just player debates. I think there's a panel of four of us. Uh, taking five or six pairs of players. Yeah. Uh, Ellen forward. Adair, you're going to be going up against Ellen. Ellen knows her stuff, so you better yep. be better bring it. Yep. Ellen, and Rob too, right? Rob Silver. Rob Silver and Carlos uh, Marcano. Oh, very cool. Uh, yeah, well, I'm excited about that. It'll be fun. Cool. I'll be glued to my screen for that for sure for the next couple of days. We're getting a snowstorm here in New Jersey tomorrow, so it looks like yes. I'll be definitely glued to the screen. So, again, fellas, thank you so much. Really appreciate you guys coming on, and um, it's been wonderful. It's been everything I, I thought it would be and more. Appreciate it. Thanks again, Rob. Yep, Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Alrighty, folks, that will conclude this episode of the Poetic Podcast. Once again, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for the wonderful support of the show. Find me on Twitter at Deadpool Hitter. I'm Rob DiPietro. I'm your host. Thank you for the support. You guys have been great. Again, if you want to give the show a rating and review, extremely, extremely helpful to me and the show. Helps other um, folks find the show and get ready for the fantasy baseball season this year. Unless you don't want them to find the show so you can have the edge in your fantasy baseball this year. Anyway, that being said, smarten up. Don't be a bag of shit.